Well, here we are at the official start of summer. Memorial Day weekend. I'm sure it won't be like any we've had before with our masks and our social distancing and all. But the grills are going to be getting ready and the garden is starting to grow. Like it or not, summer is coming. And I pray the warmer weather will help us get better. Oh, Lord, I pray it'll help us. But today is Memorial Day. It's a fitting day, too, for the text that we have to study today. If you don't know, Memorial Day began as Decoration Day, a day when families would go and, and they would decorate the graves of, of soldiers who died during the Civil War. It goes all the way back then. After World War I, it, it officially became Memorial Day when soldiers who died in, in all our nation's war would be honored and recognized. It's different from Veterans Day. When we, sh when there, we, we show appreciation for our veterans, right? Those who are serving. Memorial Day is for those who gave their lives in battle. I didn't serve in, uh, in the military, but it would be hard not to appreciate those who gave their lives for their country. This weekend, I watched part of a movie called Glory. It was a powerful film about a regiment of, of African-American soldiers during the Civil War. It got me to thinking, I'll have to say, why we refer to war as glorious. Why the term glory of war is even such a thing? Because while I haven't been in one, what I've seen and what I've been told by loved ones who, who have is that it's the most brutal place to be. When you think of it, there isn't much glorious about the brutality, the carnage, the destruction of it all. I can't imagine. So I looked it up. And the very first definition seemed to help me. It says, I believe I have it here, glory, high renown, or honor won by notable achievements. So when you, you think of it this way, the glory of war is the heroism, the bravery that's exhibited there. Glory becomes something a person gains or experiences in war, in the midst of it. So it's not that war is glorious, it's just it becomes the arena for glorious things to take place. At least that's the way it makes sense to me. You, you can see that in the movies like Saving Private Ryan or Banner Brothers, two great World War II movies, that, that while they don't glorify the brutality of it, they certainly do point out the heroism, the bravery, the brotherhood experienced in war, and that is amazing, if not glorious completely. Why am I talking about this? Other than Memorial Day, well, I think it's important for us to understand in today's text. In, the, in what I think is the hinge verse, Paul uses the word glory two times in, verses, in verse 27. He's trying to help us understand why he's doing what he's doing with the church in Colossae. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What Paul is saying is that God has made known what had once been a mystery to the Gentiles, as well as to the Jews, through the ministry of Jesus, the hope of glory. So what is this hope of glory? The Greek word doxa, the, the, with the root uh, dokeo, means to think, to consider. The Hebrew word that we use for glory implies something heavy or weighty that helps us, that really does help us to understand that glory refers to our thinking, our considering something heavier, weightier, something 
bigger, a bigger reputation, something that's more important, if not most important. This hope of glory becomes that which we live for, that, that thing that we value most, and that is exactly what Paul is talking about. The hope of glory is something I think most people can relate to, just, just like a soldier who signs up to be a hero, right? We, we all have a yearning for meaning, for significance. Sometimes it takes shape in, in being the best at our job, our hobbies, fishing, hunting, softball, whatever, right? Being admired by others, being known as a good person, having that reputation, having the best kids, being smart, having good grades, being able to do the best tricks on your bike or your skateboard, having a nice home, a new car, beautiful, most beautiful family, right? Having the great pictures on Instagram, being successful. We're all there, aren't we? At least we have to acknowledge that we've been there. We all want to be known for something. In fact, the, the worst that can happen to us is that we not be known at all, right? That we be overlooked, disregarded. We all hate that. How many of us would have said that it's, it's probably the worst thing that can happen to us when someone treats us like we're not even there? I mean, the invisible man, he'd be pretty cool to, for a few minutes. But then at some point, we want to be noticed for something, for anything. Not many of us took this stay-at-home order very well, right? For most of us, it's been difficult. One thing I hope that this COVID-19 season has brought to us is that we've had time to be confronted about what has been the most important things to you, what you missed the most. And maybe you've had a chance to realign some priorities. What sort of glory or reputation are you living for now? See, Paul knew what he was living for. Remember, he had been confronted by Jesus and sent to the Gentiles. He understood his purpose. His glory was coming from his relationship with Jesus. So I want to look today at what this understanding did for him, how it changed him. And at the end, I want us to consider how it might change us as we consider this same understanding, as we surrender to it, just as Paul did. The first thing that Paul describes, this most important thing, was it led him to suffer on behalf of the church. That's what Colossians 1.24 says. I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. See, Paul was suffering on behalf of the church. Suffering doesn't sound like fun. No, 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 it's not. Paul is familiar with suffering, right? If you don't know, he'd been imprisoned multiple times. He'd been beaten with a rod three times at least, whipped five times. He'd been stoned. He'd been shipwrecked three times. He'd spent many days and nights in the ocean trying to survive, dealing with robbers and thieves in all of his travels. Countless times he was run out of town or, or brought to trial for his preaching. Did Paul suffer? Absolutely. Did he know what suffering was all about? Absolutely. Yet he describes it saying that I rejoice in my suffering for you, the church. Paul rejoiced because he understood that his suffering was directly related to God's call for him to serve the church. Paul's purpose was greater than his pain, you see. His salvation was stronger than his suffering. This is important for us because, 
Because suffering will either make you bitter or it'll make you better. If your purpose is greater than your pain, then your suffering will make you better. It'll create patience in you. It'll make you stronger. It will develop perseverance in your life. But if your purpose is too small, if you don't even know why you're suffering, then it'll make you bitter. Think about this staying at home for those of you who, who saw it as a waste of time, stupid. Look, it made you bitter. But for those of us who, or those of you, who were able to see it as a time to get closer to God, to, to renovate your bathroom, or time to build that deck, or spend time with your kids again, look, it made you better. Paul's why was he was doing this for God. Paul saw his suffering as a way to serve the church, serve God, and so he rejoiced in taking his share of the suffering. What about you? I mean, you may not be called a sufferer, but, but how do you see your responsibility to serve God through the church? Do you see it as something that, that you, you don't have time for? Something that's an inconvenience because you don't like meetings? If you can't do it your way, you won't do it at all? Be careful. Because even the thought of it might be making you bitter. Others of you accept the responsibility to, to deny yourself for the benefit of others. I mean, you're beyond generous. You, you come by and, and you take care of the church. Not, not because it's, it's your job, but because you want to. You're creative in coming up with new ministries to reach new people. I mean, you serve, and your service is making you better. So don't hold back. Give yourself completely to it. Invite God to show you new ways to serve the church. He just might surprise you. Paul's suffering, his sacrificing himself, was his way of serving the church. And in a very real way, Paul was embodying the gospel for the church. Just as Jesus' suffering had led to, to the, the redemption of us all, Paul's suffering was teaching the church how to live into this holy life that Jesus had set forth before us. This leads to the second thing that Paul describes in this passage about how his life's priorities were, were reordered by considering what was most important. You see, Paul's privilege to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to everyone was what he longed to do. See, Paul's an evangelist. He was telling everyone he could about someone who could change their life. I mean, he knew it because his life had been changed. His role in, in proclaiming the gospel was just this, telling everybody I can. He said this, I've become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of the world. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, Paul wrote. Paul isn't telling them something. He isn't, he isn't telling them something. He's telling them about someone, Jesus. Who? Excuse me. Who reconciles all people to God? Gentiles, people in Colossae, as well as people in Jerusalem. 
He says in verse 25 that he was teaching the word in all its fullness. Another translation, Colossians 1.25 says, I became a servant of the church when God gave me the work of telling you his entire message. God's entire message. You see, in Colossae, the false teachers were teaching that, uh, that there was some special knowledge that only the real Christians, the real select, understood. Paul says, no. Remember, you have been taught the whole thing. And more than that, my suffering has shown it to you. He's taught them what happens when Christ is in you. You see, they've seen, they've, they've heard about Paul's changes. And that's what makes this good news so amazing. As he says, the riches of God for the Gentiles. And that is, Christ in you is the answer to every question you have about faith. That Christ in you gives you access to God. It gives you access to supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That, that having Christ in you is far better than knowing about Christ. For with Christ in you, we have the power to overcome sin. We have strength to sacrifice and to serve even when we're tired. This, Paul proclaimed, this the Gentiles were discovering was theirs in Christ. What a privilege was this responsibility Paul had. But it went beyond telling people the good news. As exciting as it is to, to, to be the one to tell someone about a new life in, in Christ, God's call on his life went further than proclaiming a message. It tells us here, we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Verse 29 continues, that's why I struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. You see, Paul's labor for the sake of producing everyone mature in Christ came about because of the change that happened in him. You've probably heard the phrase, labor of love. It refers to something that, that isn't easy, but, but it is more than worth it. Sometimes people refer to you know, raising children as a labor of love. Training a husband, maybe, is a labor of love. Building a new home, starting a business, farming, learning to cook is a labor of love. Seeing people become mature in their faith was Paul's labor of love. What I hope you see here is that while theology was important, it wasn't his labor of love. Starting churches wasn't his labor of love. Teaching wasn't his labor of love. His labor of love was people. Helping people become mature in their faith. Christianity, as I've said before, is a full contact activity. It, it is a people-focused pioneer, right? While, while we can shake hands, not right now, but we can hug, not, not right now, like we used to anyway, it doesn't change the fact that churches are in the people business. I don't want to say... Nothing else matters because Jesus matters, but people matter. Everything else is every program, every building, every tent, every online worship service, every ministry is simply a tool, a resource to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. We'll get into next week, into it next week, what it looks like to be mature, a mature disciple. But, but this week, we're just looking at Paul's ministry and what, what led him to be such a minister of the gospel. It was his encounter with Jesus that changed his life. Then commissioned him to go and preach to the Gentiles, telling everybody about somebody who loved them more than anyone else and could change their life. 
Then he invited them into ministry with him to live out God's call on their life. That's Paul. What about you? Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Meaning that, that there's always more work to be done than there are workers to do the work. We never get to sit back and say, well, I guess I've done all I can do. No, there's always more to do in the kingdom of God. Paul preached, taught, modeled. He displayed the fullness of the gospel with his entire life because that was his calling. Do you know what your calling is? Have you ever thought of yourself as having a calling? Well, let me tell you, if you're a Christian, you have a ministry. You have a calling. Many of us today don't, don't know what God is calling us to do, or, or we, we think God would only call pastors or, or church leaders or, or evangelists. You know, I'm not one of those people. No, 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 no. Every Christian has a ministry. Everyone who follows Christ has a calling. There are two parts to know our calling. The first one is understanding our shape is the language we use here at church. Our shape, S-H-A-P-E. I don't mean short, thin, tall, whatever. I mean, how you're shaped. S is spiritual gifts. No gift is better than another. The Bible lists them all over the place. They're just different. Every person is given spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the church. H is for heart. I don't mean the thing that pumps your blood, but I do mean the thing that gets your blood pumping. What do you care about? Do you have a, a, what's called a holy discontent for anything? You see something and, and it seems like no one else cares about it, but because God has wired you to care about it, you have to do something about it, right? A is for abilities. Rick Warren, he writes this. He said, the abilities you do, the abilities you do have are a strong indication of what God wants you to do with your life. They are clues to knowing God's will for you. God doesn't waste abilities, you see. He matches our calling and our capabilities. P is for personality. This refers to, to how you relate to people and how you, how you deal with different situations. We all handle them a little differently. And God has wired you to connect in a way that's particular for a purpose. E is for experiences. This one is, is pretty clear. What have you gone through that you could help someone else get through? You see, God has uses our shape, our spiritual shape, to build up the kingdom. Paul's shape was to be an evangelist, a church planner, a teacher, an encourager. That may not be your shape, but what is yours? So, so knowing our shape, understanding our shape is part of it, then we have to hear his voice. That's the other part, taking time to listen to God. That may mean getting quiet, getting to know God through studying his word. It may take some time. If you would like to discover God's call on your life and, and to understand how to hear his voice, then how to live that out, then get in touch with me. I would love to help. I put some resources here in the sermon notes to help you discover your shape for ministry. I met someone this week who who told me, I've been reading the Bible, and but, but I don't feel like I'm doing, I need to do something. If you feel that way, if you feel that there has to be more to your faith than just church on Sunday, as great as this is, I want to tell you, there is. Paul knew it. It's all about answering God's call on your life, to enter into the great adventure that God has for you. 
but you have to know what that is. And it starts with surrendering to him, discovering yourself and hearing his voice. If you're new to faith, even if, if right now you're hearing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and that excites you, if you feel that, that you've been trying to figure out what life, in the, the, just like the folks in Colossae, and you now realize that it's not that hard, all, all that you have to do is surrender to Jesus and follow him. and He'll lead you to the next step. Today might be a next step for you. I'm planning to start a small group, one that will focus on, on helping us to identify God's call on our life and, and to develop God's character in our life. If that sounds like something that you need to do, a next step that you need to take, then I invite you to, to click on my email link below and, and send me a message. I'd love to follow up with you. If you're here and, and you just feel like you need God to, to speak to you in this moment, we're going to pray together. And in that prayer, I'm going to get quiet and we're going to invite God to speak right where we are right now because this is the life that he's given us to live and he has a purpose for us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time in your presence, Lord. We thank you that, that you have a plan and a purpose for our life. No matter how long we've been coming to church, if this is our first time or our 501st time, you have a plan and a purpose for us. God, what it takes is for us to understand how you've put us together and then to hear your call, to hear your voice calling us to come and serve. Lord, we invite you. We surrender to you right now. That right now, that, that we surrender our lives to you. You are our Lord. And we want to serve you and build your kingdom, God. We want you to use us to build others up, God. To send us out on the great adventure of faith. God, we want to serve you. We want to hear your voice. Speak to us right now. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. Well, I would invite you just to type in the chat or in, in the, the comments below the yes, Lord, speak. If that's your desire to hear God speak and call you you're ready to respond just type that in lord speak and be prepared continue to pray continue to listen for his voice study his word get to know him he will lead you i promise amen thank you for joining us for worship i invite you to join me for our benediction which we use uh every week you would life is much more than an accident wherever i go i believe that god needs me there Wherever I am, I trust that God has put me there. He has a purpose for me being there, and that is Christ, alive in me, wants to do something through me, no matter where I am. I believe this, and I go in His grace, and His love, and His power. God bless you all. Have a fantastic week. Stay healthy, and I hope to see you soon. Love you. Bye-bye.